KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I think that's one of the things that a lot of freshmen struggle with is when you're so successful in high school, then you come to college, and then you're not seeing that same immediate success. You have two options. You can step up or you can fold. I stepped up. And I feel like so many times student athletes can do that if they have the right mentality. And our guest this week, Kiara Wooden, she is the head women's basketball coach at Division II Westchester University. And Kiara, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So what has the last, what is almost a year now, been like for you uh, with everything shut down? How... Just how have you approached, how have you handled uh, life here, trying to keep your team together and uh, work through some challenging times, to say the least? Honestly, it's been completely different than anything I'm used to, even right now. So I was laughing because we can't do workouts right now. You know, usually we're we're in the the mix of the season, but with it being um, the pandemic going on, there's actually that break. So where the general population doesn't have classes or any of that kind of stuff, we're usually still practicing, doing two-a-days, getting ready for games, traveling, that sort of thing. So when my compliance person said that the last time we could do workouts was right before Christmas break, and then we couldn't start back up until school resumed for the spring, I was completely shocked because I've never been in that position. So I'm like, you mean for a month? <laughs> like they're not, like they're, I don't, I can't make them do anything basketball related. She was like, no, I was like, is this how other sports, you know, have to do it? And she's like, yes. She's like, this is what other sports do. Spring and, and other sports do these things. And I was like, oh, I'm not used to this. So that's been definitely different. Had a lot more time on my hands over this holiday break than I've ever had. But prior to that, I think we did a pretty good job of trying to keep the team together. We had to get creative, obviously, but we were doing Zoom workouts. Um, we were doing basket, individual basketball workouts. So we had to send them packets and then they did the workouts and sent me clips of their little videos and that sort of thing so that I knew that they were getting them done. And then we kept track of their conditioning workouts through, through an app. So again, had to get creative, but tried to do our best. And then we did mental health check-ins every other week or so. And then we did academic check-ins weekly. So definitely different, but still trying to keep everyone engaged and making sure that everyone's okay. Yeah. To that point, what kind of conversations without getting obviously too personal, but are you having with the kids and are most of the conversations basketball? Because there's a lot, there's been a lot going on. There continues to be a lot going on. And uh, how do you feel the kids are handling everything? Honestly, when we talk, most of the time, it's not about basketball. I'm more worried about how they're doing mentally right now, you know, making sure that they are getting some sort of physical activity going on. But it's it's challenging for a lot of them. You have people on different ends of the spectrums in terms of where they are. Okay, so freshmen that were excited about getting away from home for the first time, and then you have seniors that have been on their own for years, and now they're back home. So, you know, I'm doing more check-ins worried about, okay, where are you at academically? How are you doing in terms of um, remote learning? You know, how are you doing in terms of your mental health? Is, is everything okay? I know this is different for you having to be inside and not being, and, and you know, not having basketball, which is a lot of their relief and a lot of their stress um, reliever time is is equated to their sport and a lot of their identity is equated to their sport. So not having that, I'm more concerned with checking in on them 
with those areas than I am with basketball. Basketball is going to be there. They've been doing it their whole life. When we get back, it'll just be a matter of, you know, knocking the rust off. But I'm, I'm worried more about the other aspects of their lives. Has this situation we're dealing with now, has it changed the way you approach things? And not just because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but maybe the way you approach things, even when we get back, quote unquote, to a more normal situation? I don't know if it's going to change my approach. I think I'm, I'm more cognizant of the fact that there's, without saying it's bigger than basketball, it's bigger than basketball. You know, that's that's a piece of who we are. It's a piece of what we do. And we're going to get back to that and we're going to get back to the grind. But I also have to keep in mind that it's been over a year since we've been together and that I'm not going to be able to have the same expectations of them then that I have now. Um, and it's going to be just a slow process with us trying to get back to who we are individually and collectively. So let's talk a little bit about your career growing up. You grew up in Wilmington, correct? Uh, down in Delaware. Correct. Born and raised. Was basketball always the top of the depth chart for you or did you play whatever was happening at the time? I actually am on, have only ever been good at maybe two or three sports. Everything else I was awful at. Basketball wasn't my first love, but it, it became my major love. So my first love was probably tennis, if you can believe that. So, so I started off there and then um, started playing basketball. I think I was 10. And if we're being honest, I was terrible. Couldn't make a layup, you know, but I was taller than everybody else. So I got all the offensive rebounds and then shot them over the backboard. Um, and then I guess a year later, for whatever reason, something just clicked. And from there on, I got better and it became my passion. When do you start to realize growing up that – you know, you mentioned you're taller than everyone, but that this is something you might be able to take further than most, your ability to play basketball. I'll probably say my freshman year in high school, I had a coach. I, I went to St. Elizabeth's my first two years. So I had a coach, Frank Elio, who I guess saw in me more than I saw in myself because he started talking about playing at the collegiate level and and, you know, switching my position from a four to a three if I want to play D1 and that sort of thing. So he kind of like instilled it in me that, OK, maybe I can do this, you know, moving forward at a high level, um, just based on what he was talking to me about and the direction he wanted to take my game. So I think that's probably when I first started really thinking about playing at the next level. Did that concept seem crazy to you at that age or, hey, he's telling me this, so it just it. This is this is the direction we're going. No, I actually thought he was crazy. Like, you know, I've been playing a four my entire life. Like I said, I've been taller than everybody since I was 10 years old. And now he's talking about uh, like, no, we're going to switch you from a four to a three. We got to work on your ball handle and we're going to do this. We're going to do that to take you to the next level. And I'm like, this man is crazy. But I like him. <laughs> I believe him. So I'm like, all right, if you say this is what we're doing, then this is what we're doing. So I just followed his lead. How tough was that change from a four to a three? You know what? It's funny. I never completely made it. I, 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 I developed some of the three skills, but I'm a banger. Like that's, that's in my blood. You can't take that away from me. So I told him, I was like, Charles Barkley was an undersized post player. Why can't I be? So that became my mentality. I'm like, I'll do what you want. I'll, you know, develop some of those three type skills. But at the end of the day, I want to be back to the basket. I want to be getting in there throwing elbows and whatnot. I don't want to be on the perimeter with those people. <laughs> what did you love about it, about, about being back to the basket, being down, down low? 
think I just love the physicality of it. I think there's a, a toughness about it. It's a way you can set a tone about a game that I just love. And I don't think that you can teach that. I think that was kind of ingrained in me. And if you can teach it, I probably got a little bit of it from my father, who's a military man. So you know how that goes. <laughs> um, they make you a little bit crazy just by the nature of who they are. And so that kind of develops in you. But I just love, like I said, I love the physicality of it. Just like, I I want you to body me. I want to be able to throw bows. Like I laugh at that. I'm like, yes, let's go. <laughs> um, so I, I just always enjoyed that, that aspect of it. So as you're developing as a player, you're getting attention. Uh, you end up going to Westchester. Uh-huh. How does it come together? Well, honestly, if, you know, I, as much as he was talking about college, I was more worried about winning a, a championship in high school. I also had a setback. I tore my ACL my sophomore year and then missed that entire year. Wound up transferring, you know, so a lot of different pieces, you know, had a, played a role in it. So by the time it was like junior and senior year, I actually wasn't even really thinking about college. I like my mindset was was small. I was thinking, OK, I need to get a championship at the high school level. So letters were coming and that sort of thing. And I was putting them in boxes and not even answering because I didn't even understand or realize what the process was. So I'm like, OK, cool. Letters are coming. They're in a box. I got a whole box full of stuff that I'm not answering just because, like I said, my focus was one, getting back after my injury and then two, trying to win a state championship. So then I guess by my senior year, you know, I started making a couple of visits and visits from anywhere from D1 to D3, just kind of looking at everything. I think I went to look at North Carolina a and I went to look at Guilford. I went to Westchester and on my visit to Westchester, like I fell in love. Like it was close to home. So my parents could come see me play and I'm real close with them. It was the size of the campus. It was the atmosphere. It was the team, like everything about it. I love. So then when my parents came to pick me up, they were like, how was your visit? And apparently I got this big cheese smile on my face and they were like, that's it. All right. This is where she's going. So the rest is history. (laughs) How's the transition to college from a basketball standpoint, from a life standpoint? From a life standpoint, it was I'll say this. It was it wasn't that hard. Academically, I was fine. You know, I've I've always excelled in that area just because I put in a lot of work. Um, and I just don't like failure. So I was fine from an academic standpoint. From a social standpoint, it was a little bit of an adjustment period, but I don't think anything abnormal. It's the same adjustment period that all freshmen go through. You're homesick a little bit, even though I was literally 30 minutes down the road. You know, at the point in time, my now husband was my boyfriend, so I'm missing him a little bit and, and you know, friends and that sort of thing that you have been growing up with, you don't see. But after you got after I got over that hump from... After like a couple weeks and my mom was like, all right, stop coming home on the weekends. <laughs> Stay up there. You're fine. Then I think I was I was fine from a basketball standpoint. That took a little bit longer. And honestly, that was because I was a big fish in a little pond in Delaware. You know, like I said, I'm a banger. But in real life, I'm probably 5'10 on a good day. And now I'm in college and I'm playing against post players that are 6'2, you know, big girls. And here I am 5'10". So the stuff that I was used to doing in high school wasn't going to work in college. So I had to figure out a way to develop my game or to expand my game to make it so that I could still be successful. And one of those ways was I had to get in the weight room because I had to get a lot stronger. And I had to call on those three skills (laughs) that my high school coach taught me as a freshman, because if you're going to put 
a big 6'2 girl on me, it's not really like I can go back to the basket and, and, and body her. Like she's looking at me like, yes, little girl. Yes. What are you doing down here? So I had to start, you know, being creative with my scoring abilities, start attacking from the perimeter and, and that sort of thing. So by, I guess, January of my freshman year, I think that's when it clicked and, and I had it rolling pretty good by then. Do you remember a moment, a game, a practice Absolutely. where it clicked like, all right, Absolutely. we're going to work now? Yes. So Binghamton, who was now D1, at that time they were D2. So we had a game there. And honestly, at that point in time, I probably wasn't even really in the rotation. And there was a post player that was supposed to start ahead of me. She wound up spraining her ankle in in the warmups. And then they started another post player who I love her to death, but she just spazzed out. Like it was, she was starting and she was all excited. And then she just kind of spazzed and they called my number and put me in. And that game coming off the bench, I had, I think like 12.6 rebounds and like six assists or something crazy like that. And then after that game, Deirdre Kane, who was the head coach at the time said, I think we found our starting four and I never looked back. Did it feel <laughs> natural to have success once you, cause you be, you were a PSAC East rookie of the year. You know, was there a step back? Like, wow, I'm doing this at the college level. Or like, nah, I'm good enough. I'm I'm working hard. And, you know, this is the fruits of the labor. I think it was more of this is the fruits of the labor. I think it took me a minute for my, like, to get out of my own way, if that makes sense. You know, I'm over here pouting, like, oh, like, I'm not getting any playing time. Like, she recruited me and I'm playing behind all these other post players. All right, well, if you don't want to be playing behind somebody, work hard so that you're not. Like the whole point is nothing's given to you. It's never been given to you. You've had to go earn it your whole life. So why is this any different? So you want time, you want the spot, go earn it. And I think once I got in that mentality and was like, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. Then I think I was, I, that's when I got in a groove because that's when I got my confidence back. I think that's one of the things that a lot of freshmen struggle with is when you're so successful in high school, then you come to college and then you're not seeing that same immediate success you have two options. You can step up or you can fold. I stepped up. And I feel like so many times student athletes can do that if they have the right mentality. You had a ton of success at Westchester. I mean, you're one of the greatest players to ever play at Westchester. You're still littering the the record books in the all-time. Did you realize as you're playing the impact you're having on the program? Or is that something that years later, you know, you start to realize what you meant. Cause I think, I think that's tough for 19, 20, 21 year olds to <laughs> grasp and you're so in the moment, but you know, how did, how did you look at it? I honestly had no, in terms of record books and that kind of stuff, no idea, no idea that at the end of my career, I was going to have made that impact. I, just like I was in high school where I was just trying to win a championship. My focus when I was in college was trying to win. And that's all I ever focused on. The accolades and all that were irrelevant to me. I just wanted us to win the East, you know, win the East. Let's try to win a PSAC championship, like make it to the NCAA tournament. So whatever I had to do to help us get there was all fine and dandy. But I wasn't thinking records or, or you know, establishing myself in the program for, you know, for legendary reasons or whatever. I wasn't looking at it like that. All I was thinking about was, win this game so we can win the next game so we can keep moving on. I don't think it was until like after my career was over and, and probably years had passed that when you look back, 
I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I had a pretty good career. Like, oh, that's where I finished in this category. The one that I was aware of was probably rebounding. And that was just because I thought that was cool. Because, again, at 5'9", five, 5'10", five, like, you're trying to chase a rebounding record. I'm like, ah, I like that one. But other than that, like, no, I wasn't really, I wasn't really concerned about it. When you think back on your career, as far as memories are concerned, what would be at the top of the list? Ooh, doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Like <laughs> Completely dealer's choice. <laughs> okay, so my senior year, we were we were good. We were good my senior year. And we made it to the conference championship. We had to play against Cal, University of Cal, Pennsylvania. And I mean, we were we were neck and neck. We were right there. I think we were down by like maybe one point. And their point guard, who hadn't, I mean, she was tough. She was really good. But she hadn't hit a shot all game. And then she made a three that was like a dagger. And we wind up losing by, um, losing to them by four points in the conference championship. And we wound up advancing to the NCAA tournament, won the opening round, and then had to see Cal again in the second round of the tournament, and then lost by four again. So those are the moments. Like, I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> those teams that you just can't get over the hump against, but you're right there. But like I said, even so, it was still a memorable senior year. But definitely, like, losing to Cal by four points, like, less than a week apart from each other, whew, still stings to this day. <laughs> now, you mentioned Deirdre Kane, your head coach. We had her yeah. on an earlier episode of the podcast, a legend in Absolutely. women's college basketball. Sure. What was it like to play for her? It was awesome. You know, her and I are very close. She has always been like a second mom to me. Like, I love her. I appreciate her. She I, she was a softie in terms of, like, emotions. Like, she coached definitely, was a passionate coach, definitely wore her emotions on her sleeve, but was one of the best coaches I've ever had. Just And not just, like, X's and O's, but in terms of relationships and people and getting the best out of them and wanting the best for them. And I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today in terms of my coaching profession or or my personal life if it wasn't for her, because she's definitely played an impact in both. Love that woman. (laughs) So when does coaching appear on your radar? Is it something you always figured whenever your playing days were over, you were going to stay close to the game? Or are you kind of just having a moment where basketball's done? I don't know what's next. Phone rings. How did it come together? So I always knew I wanted to do something in athletics. When I first came into college, I was actually thinking sports journalism. Before entering college, I was thinking like sports sports agent type of thing that, you know, so I always knew something in sports. It wasn't probably until my sophomore or junior year, Westchester had a coaching minor at the, at the time, and I started taking classes in that. And I knew even though I wanted to do something in athletics, like being an athletic trainer wasn't going to be it because I don't like blood and and ankles and stuff. So I'm like, eh, okay, so let me figure out another way to stay in the sport. And then I started taking class in that coaching minor and really enjoyed it and was like, okay, I think this is something I could do. Particularly in this one class, we had to like design a year long program for if you were going to be a coach, you had to include recovery days and days off and practice planning and your coaching philosophy. And as I finished that project, I think that's when I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This, this is it. And then I still wasn't sure, honestly, how I was going to get there. 
but Coach Kane nominated me for this So You Want to Be a Coach program that was run through the WBCA. Um, I attended that, met a lot of people, did some networking and that sort of thing. And then at one point in time, we used to play against a team, Longwood University, and their longtime coach, Shirley Duncan, was there for years, kind of like reminiscent of Coach Kane's career. So she was at Longwood for forever. Coach Kane was at Westchester for forever. She actually picked up the phone and called Coach Kane and was like, what's man love doing when she graduates? And uh, Coach was like, you know, she's actually wanting to get in coaching and, and that sort of thing. She was like, okay, well, have her call me. And then I was doing an internship at Lightning Fast. I called her. She said, come down for an interview. Went down for an interview. And then that was how I got my foot in the door. got my first coaching job. They were making the transition to D1. So it was an awesome opportunity for me. And fresh out of college, I'm like, let's go. So packed up my stuff, moved to Virginia. (laughs) Was it what you thought it would be? Coaching, because I think it's one thing to learn about coaching in the classroom. It's one thing to be a player under a coach. But then when you're the person, you're coaching, <laughs> was it, did it open your eyes or was it pretty much in line with what you expected? I think it was pretty much in line. Like, like it's still the sport, whether or not you're playing it or coaching it. Like, I think as a player, one of the things that made me pretty good was that I saw the game as a coach. So I saw it plays ahead. Like, okay, well, if this happens, then what happens here? Okay. And I was always thinking through the game. So I think that helped me make the transition. Obviously, it has its challenges. You know, I was fresh out of playing. So I'm literally coaching against people that are older than me, (laughs) you know, in some aspects. And when I came back to Westchester, I was coaching teammates of mine, you know, friends, people that had been in my wedding and that sort of thing. So it definitely had its, its challenges as a young coach. But I don't think it was anything that I didn't expect in terms of the actual coaching. I think that there are, there's way more to it than actually coaching and practices in game day, which I was unaware of. But you become aware of that once you're in the grind that, okay, the X's and O's of it is literally probably 10% of the job, particularly at the D2 level. And there's so many other facets that you have to be responsible for. So I think that was probably the biggest shocker for me. When you're a great player, sometimes in talking to people, it can be difficult to transition to coaching just because things that came easier to you, it's a tough mental hurdle. Why can't you do X? I've been doing X for 10 years, but... I don't know what disconnect, but it's just hard to kind of put yourself that maybe that player is just not as good as you and they they struggle with it. Did you encounter that where you had to kind of check yourself like? Absolutely. And if we're being honest, Coach Kane probably had to check me about it. And it wasn't necessarily that I'm like, why can't you do this? It was more I put in the effort every day. That's just who I was. It's who I've always been. So if we're having a sprint, Like I'm trying to come in first because nothing in me wants to not win, whether it's, you know, the competition, the sprint consequences of of that, whatever the case may be. And I think that was hard for me to understand because we had talented players that didn't work as hard as I thought that they could. And that used to infuriate me. I'm like, she's better than that. Why is she coming in third in a sprint when I know she can come in first? And like that literally when I was first coaching used to be such a pet peeve of mine. And coach had to sit me down one day and literally look me in my face and said, everybody's not you. 
Like you have to understand that they're not all going to be like you, that they're going to be talented and some of them are going to work hard. She said it's rare to have somebody that's talented and is going to work hard every single day. She said it's a division two paradox. If they had everything, then they wouldn't be D2, they would be D1. So that was like one of the lessons that she had to teach me that they might be talented, but not work that hard. They might work hard and and be lacking in a couple skill set areas that we're going to have to develop. But you're going to kind of have to meet them where they are. And as long as they are meeting the standard, that even if they're not excelling past the standard, that they're doing enough. And you got to be okay with that. And and that was a tough pill to swallow for that first couple of years. But eventually I got it. And now being in the profession for so long, I definitely see where she was coming from. The when you see so spend what, one year at Longwood and then you Correct. become an assistant at Westchester. I mean, yes. obviously it makes sense, but how did it was it just Coach Kane call just said, Are you interested? <laughs> and you were like, Let's do it. Well, so I was at Longwood for a year. Um, Coach Kane called. She had a longtime assistant coach, Coach Stinger. Um, we call him Stingman. So that was that was my that my guy. He was her assistant coach, but he was only part-time. And then she was finally getting a full-time assistant coaching position. The plan was because he had, he was a teacher and a part-time coach that he wasn't going to give up his teaching position. You know, it was time to get somebody younger in there because recruiting and that sort of thing started becoming, you know, it it started becoming more prevalent and being on the road a lot and that sort of thing. So, they, you know, and strength and conditioning started becoming an important facet of it. So they wanted to get somebody younger in there. She called and was like, hey, next year I might have, you know, a position. And I'm like, okay, talk to me. And she was like, it would either be a grad assistant position or it would be a full-time assistant coaching position, depending on how everything plays out. And I was honest with her. I said, coach, if it's a grad assistant I said, it makes no sense for me to come back. I'm already a full-time assistant coach at a D1 school. Like, why would I, you know, even if it's coming home and even though I love you, it makes no sense to come back to be a grad assistant when I'm already getting paid to do it. I said, but, you know, if it's if it's a full-time position, you know, like, I'm, I'm coming home. And, um, you know, a little while passed and every all the ducks were in a row. And then she called and was like, it's a full-time position. You coming to apply. And I was like, when's my interview? And then again, like I said, the rest, the rest was kind of history. That interview was funny and ironic because I'm, you know, interviewing with people that, okay, it's my head coach. She's asking me about my, my basketball background. You know, it's the men's, the men's assistant coach at the time. And he's asking questions about playing experience and that sort of thing. I'm like, you guys, this is, this is awkward, but you know, we did it. And like I said, rest is history. <laughs> Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Kiara Wooden right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week, I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on One on One. Our guest this week, Westchester University head women's basketball coach, Kiara Wooden. You talked about when you come to Westchester, you're coaching and you're what, 23, 24 Maybe so I was I was young when I graduated. So I was 21 when I graduated. So by the time I was back at Westchester, I probably was about to turn 23. 
And you mentioned, you know, players you know, that you that you're best friends with or whatever. Oh yeah. What, what kind of challenge does that present where you're happy to be with them again, but now there's it's different roles. How did was that a tough thing to handle to to learn to handle? Uh, did it present problems? Um, it didn't present problems other than like I said, so one of the people that I was coaching was my best friend at the time. So Keisha Mack um, literally was in my wedding. <laughs> so, you know, we hung out all our college years, that sort of thing. So that was a little bit different because obviously, okay, Keisha, for this year, like we can't be friends. Not we can't be friends, but we can't be friends. Like, no, I can't hang out with you. No, we can't go over here and do this like we used to. So obviously trying to separate those relationships was a little bit challenging I think that they made it easy in terms of the fact that I still got the respect, regardless of whether or not I was their friend or not. They didn't ever try to, you know, use that against me. And I think that that helped a lot. I think having played with them and been the player that I was, I think that kind of also helped in the respect factor because I'm trying to help you guys get back to where we were or maintain where we were when I left. So it's kind of like, okay, well, she's been here and done that. So yeah, listen to her like, and, and that helped. But like I said, it, it was challenging because those relationships definitely had to take a time out, pause until that year was over. And then, all right, let's resume. Like nothing ever happened. What are the biggest lessons you learned? You spent a decade as Coach Kane's assistant before you took over the yeah. program. So what are, what are the biggest lessons you learned over those, those 10 years about being a coach? No, it's funny. I think the biggest thing that I learned I guess, making the transition from assistant to head coach is that it's so different. It's one seat over, but it is so different. I think the relationships, well, I'll touch on why it's different first. I think it's different mainly because now it's all on you. You know, when you're an assistant coach, like the head coach is sitting there, you have ideas, you're telling her your ideas. If she takes them, cool. If she doesn't, she doesn't. But it's on her. The, the shame and the blame, the wins and the losses, they're all on her. When you're then sitting in that chair and you have to make those same decisions that I was so easy to be like, hey, listen to me, like put her in or hey, call a timeout. Now I'm in that chair in those same situations and calling that timeout when I'm supposed to isn't coming as easy as when I was telling her to do it as an assistant coach or subbing that kid out, you know, easy as I was to be like, get her out the game. Now I'm in the head coaching position like her way out of this dump. So a lot of the things that I was like yelling at her about, not yelling, but you know, being like, coach, get her. Now is somebody else doing that to me. And I'm like, relax, wait a minute. <laughs> so that was probably one of the biggest challenges, biggest differences. So when do you start thinking that you are going to want your own pro? I think everybody dreams about, or if you're in the, the, job you dream of being a head coach I think it's one thing when you think about it in the abstract and another when I think I'm ready I think Mm -hmm. I am ready for this challenge when do you start to think I'm I think I'm ready for my own program probably if we're being honest probably about year five or six I had actually gone on a job interview I won't mention the school I was actually offered the position at the time my oldest son was a few months old and I was offered it, but I just didn't feel like it was the right. I felt like I was ready to be a head coach. I was ready to take over a program. I didn't feel like it was the right move for me to make for my family at the time, 
just with him being so young and then us having to move and uproot the family and not having my support system around. But I think about, like I said, about year five or six, I knew like I can do this. Like I'm ready. It just wasn't in the cards at the time. And obviously some of that is, you know, it's my alma mater. I love it here. Um, I love who I work with. So I didn't necessarily have to make the leap. I knew I was ready to make it, but it wasn't like I was pressed to make it. I was going to be happy regardless. If I became head coach at the other school, cool. If I stayed here and was the assistant coach at Westchester for another few years, that was fine too. Are there conversations with you and Coach Kane where she starts to say, you know what, I only see me being here two, three more years or Mm -hmm. whatever, and it would make a lot of sense if you were to take the job once I'm done. Like, is it kind of maybe on the bus you guys start talking about stuff like that, and how does it come together? We had those conversations. We had those conversations probably for the last few years of of her career. Kind of had a a game plan or a direction that we wanted the program to go. Did we know if it was actually going to work out? You know, yes, I'm who she wanted her successor to be. Yes, I wanted to take over the program. Where the, was the AD going to feel the same way? We didn't know. We hoped so. Our thought process was to continue to be good and, and put a good team out there and continue to be successful and if we do that, then it made sense for them to, you know, hire me next. But it was never, it was never a guarantee, but it was definitely something that we discussed. And and as it got closer, and I knew that was my end goal, it just made sense, even if I had to wait a couple more years for me to stick around. Um, because again, like I said, it wasn't like there was a need for me to leave. I wasn't being kicked out. I wasn't being forced out. My contract was fine. The team was successful. I liked Coach Kane. I liked the school, obviously, since I pretty much grew up there. So it definitely made sense for me to to ride it out for a few years. Do you remember the conversation when she tells you it, it, be, it stops going from an abstract to I've decided I'm going to retire and this is going to happen? Do you remember that? remember the exact conversation but I do remember well (laughs) she kind of had a countdown because it also had to do with like retirement and retirement plans and all that kind of stuff but I also remember them like buying a lot of land and and I think it was North Carolina so kind of when that happened I was like oh she's serious now (laughs) because it's like okay that's how you plan on retiring so you got the land so okay it's definitely gonna come to fruition I don't remember the exact conversation but I do remember when she was like, this, you know, this will be my last year, so on and so forth. And I think like every game that year, because we knew it was going to be her last, hit a little bit different, you know, last time you're going to be playing against this team, you know, last time you're going to be coaching in this arena as this staff. So each game that year, I feel like was, was an emotional one. It looks like a wonderful door is opening to you, but Mm -hmm. Another, you know, a person that's meant so much to you uh, is is going to be stepping away. Mm-hmm. Uh, how emotional was that year overall? And, you know, specifically the last few games. Overall, I feel like we kept our emotions in check. Like I said, if it was the last time we were playing against the team together, then, you know, it, it got a little bit emotional. But for the most part, I feel feel like we try to focus more on that team as opposed to 
the the end of a career or the beginning of a career for me. We tried to keep the focus on the players that were currently there um, because this was their last chance. You know, this was their opportunity. This was their time to shine. And we didn't want the focus on the transition that was eventually going to happen. I think now that last game, whoo, there were definitely some tears. There were some hugs. There was uh, like, there's a picture of Coach Kane and I hugging it out. And we were at Edinburgh. So in the classroom at Edinburgh, hugging it out and just tears. And I don't know, I, I don't know if everybody knew why we were crying that bad. Like, yes, it was the last game of the season and so on and so forth. But I don't know if they knew that we were crying because we knew it was, this was it. Like, this was going to be the last time we were going to be doing this together. But that last game definitely was was hard. And, you know, obviously I was excited, you know, the next, the next facet of my career. But at the same time, like, she was a legend. She is a legend. So having her walk away from the game and us not sitting side by side on game day, that was going to be a tough pill to swallow. So how long is the time period between that Edinburgh game and when you get the head coaching job and what's it like? So that Edinburgh game had to be February or March, say March. And then I believe that I got the job in August. And again, you know, we kind of were hoping it was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen the way it happened. Like I thought that they were going to open the job up and do a national search and interview and all that kind of stuff, which obviously had me a little bit stressed out. Like I knew I was well-equipped to do the job. I, I I thought I was the best candidate just because I played there. I coached there. I was familiar with the conference. Like the players on the team were already comfortable with me. So there were a lot of things that I thought I had going for myself, but I still wasn't convinced that, you know, it was all going to pan out. That's still a stressful time. But then when I got the job, when they made the announcement, well, the AD called me into the office and said he wasn't going to open up a national search and he was just going to appoint me that I want the job. It was kind of like, all right. So that was a weight lifted off my shoulder because I'm like, good Lord, everybody's going to come out for this job. Like I'm in my head, I'm like, the ones are going to be coming out and and everybody's going to be throwing their hat in there. So I'm glad it didn't come to that. (laughs) But (laughs) So this is 2014, August, 2014, you take over. Yes. Um, What's the, we talked about the transition going from player to to coach and, you mm-hmm. know, coaching players that you were friends with, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, even though, like you said, you're only moving a foot over, the relationship dynamics with, kid, with players change from an assistant, you know, more uh, shouldered or somebody to talk to, sounding board, yes. stuff like that, to now you're the, you're the decision maker and and uh-huh. and such what was that transition like i feel like that was the biggest change like when i was the assistant coach all the players came to me whatever it was like and i'm talking i mean it could be anything from academics to basketball to playing time to you know boyfriend issues whatever the case may be they i was the ear i was like the big aunt like big sister whatever and that changed so drastically when i became the head coach and i guess that's just a part of the position and a part of the, you know, the transition, but I felt like I became the head coach. And then all those people that used to come to me now went to my assistant coach about everything. It's like, don't talk to coach about it. Like I'm still the same person that I was when you were talking to me two months ago, but now I'm the head coach. So like, don't take that to coach. Like we got to talk to coach Haas about that. So I think that was probably 
the biggest transition. And that took some, you know, getting used to for me because I liked that part of the job. Like I liked you guys being able to come and talk to me about whatever and bend my ear about whatever and me give you advice. So that took a little bit uh, of an adjustment period. Not that they still don't talk to me, but it's just they go to her first to figure out how to handle me (laughs) when I'm like, you were handling me just fine (laughs) prior to the transition. So that was challenging. And then I think the other big challenge was probably not being able to be as hands-on with some aspects of the game that I used to be able to do. Like when I was the assistant coach, I was in charge of all of the strength and conditioning. I was in charge of all the skill work, regardless of position. And then when I became the head coach, I kind of had to delegate some of those responsibilities. We got a strength and conditioning coach, a full-time one. So then that part of my job was taken away. And then because I now have to do paperwork and other kind of stuff, then instead of doing skill work with all of the team, then it was like, okay, Coach Hosh, you take the guards and I'll still work with the post players. So like some of those aspects of my day-to-day changed when I became the head coach. Do you feel, did you feel at the time or looking back, do you feel there was even more on you because it's your alma mater where you were a star player mm-hmm. and you're replacing somebody who meant so much to you? Were there added layers of pressure and did you realize it at the time or is it something that you kind of realize in retrospect? Oh, no, I realized it at the time. Like, you're replacing a legend. Anybody that comes after a legend is going to have big shoes to fill. I knew that I was going to be under a microscope. I knew that our program had been successful over the years. So if I couldn't at least maintain that or step it up a notch, then it was going to be frowned upon. And, and rightfully so. You know, there's a standard at Westchester. There's a standard of excellence. There's a standard of achieving. It was my job to make sure that that standard didn't deviate. So... It wasn't one of those things that in retrospect, no, going into it, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, All right. Now it's real. Like, this is what you wanted. This is this is what you asked for. Now you better be able to step up to the plate and, and produce. I will say this, that I think that coach came retired at a time when we had a very good team. So that obviously helped with the transition because we were pretty good. You know, that we had a class that was pretty good their freshman and sophomore years. And then you know, like I said, Coach Kane retired and we had that nucleus. And I think that as they developed and and got comfortable with each other, playing with each other for a couple more years, they just excelled. So it kind of made me look good because they were good. So I'm the first to admit that a coach is only as good as the players that they have. And I had, I've had a slew of good players on our roster throughout the years. Do you remember the first moment when it really hit you that you were the head coach, like a decision or something like that, where you're like, Oh, I, I, I'm not giving advice. I'm, I'm the hammer. Now I'm the one that has to decide whether this happens or that happens. I don't know if there was a specific moment. Um, but definitely, like I said, that first year was an adjustment because it's not me tapping someone else and saying, do this. It's me getting tapped or it's me and me saying yay or nay to the suggestion. And sometimes you say yay and or nay and you make the wrong choice. And I'll be honest, my first year, you know, that was part of the growing pains of it. You know, not calling the timeout when I should have, you know, subbing somebody out and leaving them out too long and letting them get cold, putting the wrong person in, you know, just just things like that that you have to work through as 
as a young head coach. So that that first year, like I said, was definitely growing pains, was definitely a transition period. The good thing was, in spite of some of the bonehead mistakes I made, we still won a lot of games. So that was good. Yeah, you went, I think, 24 and 6 that first year. I always talk, or I'll talk to, in countless interviews I've done over the years, specifically with players, I'll talk about going from high school to college, what's the biggest adjustment, and almost across Mm -hmm. the board, it's speed of the game, getting Mm -hmm. adjusted to the speed of the game. Going from an assistant to a head coach early on, did you have to adjust to speed of the game as far as you talked about not calling a time? Mm-hmm. Those those decisions are coming at you fast and furious. And did, yeah. you, did, did it take a while to be able to slow things down and get into a rhythm? I think it did. I think it took a, a little bit of time. Again, just because it's easy to be the one making the suggestions, it's harder to be the one that has to pull the trigger. You know, so it it was, like I said, it was just a lot easier when, I was making the suggestion and if you listened, then cool. And if you didn't, then I could be like, told you so. And now like you, now you're the one at the end of the day being like, stupid, why didn't you listen when she said blah, blah, blah. Like, so it, it, like I said, it was, it was an adjustment period. I think one of the things that helped make that adjustment, like I said, is the fact that I had been there. It wasn't like I was taking over a completely new program. These are kids that I had already coached for the past, however many years. I had already understood their skill sets. I had already watched them develop and knew what they could and couldn't do. So I think that helped as opposed to if I had gone somewhere completely different with a whole new set of players um, and trying to implement a whole new system. There were definitely things that I tweaked and things that I changed, but for the most part, kept a lot of the same things my first couple of years because I didn't want to bombard them with now they're thinking and thinking and thinking instead of playing. So we changed some things, particularly on the defensive end, because that's where my heart is. But we, we kept a lot very similar and just tweaked some things so that they could be just so they could just play instead of being robotic because they're trying to remember as opposed to just playing the game. You've had we talked about you won 24 games the first year head coach. You've maintained the program as an elite in the PSAC. You made the NCAA tournament three times, and I'm curious, more satisfying to get to the NCAA tournament as a player. If we're going to be honest, I'll say as, I mean, it's tough. It's satisfying both ways, but as a player is the only time I've gotten a win. So (laughs) I think it'll be more satisfying when I get there and and actually can pull out a W from a, from a coaching standpoint. So until then I'll have to stick with as a player. (laughs) Where have you grown the most since, since you started coaching, not just as since you've taken Mm -hmm. over as head coach, but since you became a coach, where do you feel you have had the most growth in the job? That's a good question. The most growth. I would probably say, like, the, the head coach that I was under my first year, she gave me some good advice when I was her assistant. She said, kiss. And I was like, what's kiss? And she was like, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> and um, I think that is one of the things that I've learned to do over the years. Like, I think when I first started coaching, I was so bent on making sure that everyone knew how prepared I was, that sometimes I was giving too much and doing too much. That makes sense. Even something as simple as like a scouting report. I was literally giving you every single detail about the person, every move they made, like each person's paragraph would be like, 
two, three paragraphs. Like I could do, I could do a page on each player. Okay, well, players aren't going to remember all that. So why are you giving them all that? I think that as I got older, I got more confident that, okay, you can still be knowledgeable without having to <laughs> give you a book. And I think that was in like all areas of, of coaching. Like I'm still knowledgeable. I don't have to give them everything. Just give them enough so that they can be successful. So I think that's probably where I had my most growth and my most development is in being secure in what I know and how I can get that through to my players without having to bombard them with information. <laughs> Favorite part of what you know, the relationships for sure. You know, that's one of the main things that I loved about Westchester. And one of the main things that coach Kane instilled in me is that it's not just a business. It's not just about wins and losses. Don't get me wrong. We're going to work hard and we're going to win, but the relationships that you build along the way, the, you know, watching players that you used to coach become mothers and become wives and, and that sort of thing. And, and them calling you with advice for advice and, and, and those things, those things are the things that stick with you, you know, throughout. Those are the things that get you over the hump, especially do the, during those trying years where it might be a struggle and the wins and loss, you know, wins might not come as easy as the losses are flowing. Um, those relationships, I think, are what get you through. And my final question <laughs> You will coach basketball again one day. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it as this pandemic goes on. But do you think this time away, and you don't have to talk to you long to get the feel of the passion you have for what you do and the game, but has this given you even more of an appreciation of, of what you get to do, the fact that it's kind of been taken away here in the short term? Absolutely. I think it's kind of like when I was a player. So when I tore my ACL my sophomore year, I probably was getting to the point where I might have been a little bit burned out. I was playing year round. I was playing AU. I was playing in tune-up leagues. I, you know, I was just, it was basketball, basketball, basketball. I tore my ACL and then the appreciation for the game came back tenfold. I feel like that's going to be the same or similar situation. The, appreci the appreciation for the game is tenfold because it's not guaranteed. You never know what's going to happen. You kind of take the game for granted sometimes, like it's always going to be there. And the fact that we're not playing this year proves that it's not. So when you come back, you have to you have to make the most out of it. You have to, because there's no guarantees of what it's going to look like moving forward. But you want to make sure that every minute that you're out there is a minute that you don't regret. It's a minute that you don't second guess. It's a minute that you're not doing shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's like, no, that time is over. So I'm eager to get back. I'm excited about getting back. I'm looking forward to it. I miss it. Like I said, it's a big part of who I am and who I've been for the majority of my life, so I can't wait to get back. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Kiera Wood, head women's basketball coach at Westchester University, for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can at one on one pod. You can follow me as well at Matt Leon1060. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another conversation with somebody you should know more about.